New Testament and to the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians and chapter 3. We will read again these words. Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that ye may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inward man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, to the end that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be strong to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations forever and ever. Then I want to just go on and read uh, in chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beseech you to walk worthily of the calling wherewith you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, giving diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as also ye were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But unto each one of us was the grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, this he ascended. What is it but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, unto the work of ministering, unto the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith, and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men in craftiness after the wiles of error, but speaking truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom all the body fitly framed and knit together through that which every joint supplieth, according to the working in due measure of each several part, maketh the increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love. Then I want to add one further portion in uh, 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 20. But now hath Christ been raised from the dead, the first fruits of them that are asleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be abolished is death, for he put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he saith, all things are put in subjection. It is evident that he is ac accepted who did subject all things unto him. And when all things have been subjected unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subjected to him that did subject all things unto him, that God may be all in all. Shall we bow together? word of prayer let's all really ask the Lord in our hearts that he will enable us both in speaking and hearing oh father we just want very simply to tell you that without the Lord Jesus we can do nothing we thank you that you have specifically provided an anointing for this time this evening and we want to thank you for the way that you've enabled those who have ministered your word to this day. And Lord, as we come to this time this evening, we want to tell you we don't rely on, on your past uh, uh, provision, but Lord, we want to stand by faith into that provision you have made for this evening. A fresh provision, a new provision. We thank you that you've made it through the finished work of the Lord Jesus and you've made it a glorious reality in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we want to ask that both for the speaking and for the hearing, that anointing may be manifested so that I may be enabled to speak your word and we may be enabled to hear 
hear your word, to receive it, Lord, and to uh, obey it, to do it. Oh, Lord, encompass this time round about and make it a time of revelation and understanding, of enlightenment, of a meeting with yourself, we pray. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. As you all know, the theme of this conference is the fullness of Christ and um, our pressing on into that fullness. And my responsibility has been the epistles, that is, from Romans to Jude, to uh, cover what uh, we um, find within those letters concerning the fullness of Christ and our pressing on into that fullness, our experiencing of it. Uh, we have considered the greatness of the calling and the destiny of the child of God to be filled unto all the fullness of God. And uh, yesterday evening I sought to um, uh, speak about being made full in him. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and in him ye are made full. There's no way that any one of us can know the fullness of God in an ever-increasing experience and measure except in the Lord Jesus. God has placed all the fullness in him. And you and I have to find that fullness and experience that fullness in the Lord Jesus. We can't have a second-hand experience or a third-hand experience. It cannot come by knowing about Christian things. It has to come through knowing the Lord. We cannot know that fullness, that being made full in Him or complete in Him, apart from the person and work of the Holy Spirit. A number of people asked me about what I said about the Holy Spirit last night, and I just want to clarify one issue. Just as the work of the cross has two vital strategic aspects, you are, the Lord Jesus died for us, and the Lord Jesus died as us. And theologically, we make a differentiation between the two. He died for me in my place, and that's something I have no part in. He was my substitute. But he also died as me. He died as my representative. When he died, God considered I was crucified with him and I died with him. Now, in actual fact, when the Lord Jesus died, both those things happened at once, okay? And when you and I are saved, for us, both those things are ours. We cannot be saved unless we know he died in my place. It was his atoning death that reconciled me to God, that brought me to a new birth. But most of us never realize that when he died, I died. 
And it's often many years later we enter into a revolutionary, radical experience that turns us inside out and upside down when we suddenly realize that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, I died in exactly the same way there are two aspects vital and strategic in the work of the Holy Spirit. One is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the other is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. One is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me by which the fruits of the Spirit are produced. And the other is the Holy Spirit coming upon me by which I am clothed, endued with power, equipped by God and gifted by God. You can't divide these two things. God doesn't give the Spirit in measure. Either the Holy Spirit is ours or he is not ours. But the fact remains that many of us, even when the Holy Spirit is inside us and dwelling in us, have never recognized his indwelling and never recognized his authority and sovereignty in our lives to reproduce the life and nature of Jesus. And in the same way, we, many, many of us, have no idea that the Holy Spirit is to come upon us. In fact, many people are very afraid of it. <laughs> it takes sometimes years for some people to even nervously come to the place where they're prepared to consider the Holy Spirit coming upon them. So I hope this clears it all up for you. <laughs> That's possibly giving you some more problems. But I mean, uh, the fact of the matter is that there are two aspects to the work of the cross and there are two aspects to the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you and I are going to be filled unto all the fullness of God, then we have to know both aspects of the work of his cross and we have to know both aspects of the work of his Spirit. You cannot go through on one of those and one of the other. We need all four to really experience the fullness of God. I hope that's made that clear. Now, but I won't say any more there. We'll stay all night on that. But I want to talk uh, this evening about the vessel of this fullness because it is perfectly clear from the letters of the New Testament that there is a vessel of this uh, fullness, a vessel for this fullness, an instrument of this fullness, a vehicle for this fullness. For instance, if you turn to Ephesians and chapter 1 and uh, uh, from verse uh, 20, we read this, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the his body, the fullness of him who filleth all in all. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills 
all in all. Now I want to underline that and just dwell on it for a few moments. The church, if I understand this inspired, authoritative statement of God's word, I understand it to declare unequivocally, and simply, in the most straightforward manner, that the church is the fullness of Christ. Can anybody read it in any other way? He has been made head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in everyone, all in all. This is almost staggering if it wasn't in the word of God. Do you mean then, you say to me, do you mean that the church is the fullness of Christ? Yes, it is the vessel for his fullness. You will notice that it says who fills everything in everyone. So he is the fullness. <laughs> but the church, which is his body, is, as it were, the vessel for that fullness. Just like my body is the fullness of my head. What could I do if I only had a head? In one sense, my body is the fullness of my head. If my head were to say, I'm fed up with looking at these people, go out, get out of here. I, I rely on my feet to take me out there. My feet become the fullness of my head. Do you understand? My head may say, I don't like looking at these people. I'd rather get out of this place altogether. But if I didn't have a body, what could I do? My head would just be there. Do you understand? <laughs> supposing my head said make some gesture toward these people make them feel at home and I want to say come come so that is. supposing my head, my head just feels this how can I express it but my body becomes the fullness of my head because I make a gesture toward you I make some kind of, so that you've got some idea that means my body is the fullness of my head do you begin to understand in other words, my body is the expression of my head, the expression of my personality. Supposing I only had a head. Well, it would be rather sad in a way, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd just be a head here, perched here, and all I could do is look at you and speak. And here, and um, that's about all. I mean, I have a body. Now, this may seem like a Sunday school thing, but this is why the Holy Spirit uses this figure, this picture, this illustration, more than any other concerning the church of God. It speaks of the church as the body of Christ. He is the head, we are the body. Now, of course, from one point of view, the Lord Jesus obviously is able to exist without us. He doesn't need us. But the fact that this illustration is used is to put over to us to communicate a vital, all-important truth that the Lord Jesus wants 
you and me to be in such a relationship with himself as a head to the body that he can express himself through us. That he can um, uh, uh, fulfill his purpose to us. So that he can do his works through us. He can use us as hands. He can use us as feet. Do you understand? He can somehow or other communicate to people through us as his body. We're joined to him in such a living union, in such an organic union as one entity by the Spirit of God that we become the means of his expression on this earth. Now I don't know if that's too much for you. But if someone says, oh dear, this is very odd, this kind of teaching, not the kind of church I'm used to, you know. I'm used to a church with pews. And a steeple or a belfry with bats in it. <laughs> or I'm used to some kind of sort of uh, um, order of service. I mean, I'm, I'm not ever, I don't think I've ever heard this kind of way of ex interpreting or explaining the church. But my dear friend, once your eyes are open to this, you'll find it everywhere in these letters. Everywhere. Just in case anyone's got any argument with me on this, I'll turn you to just one passage. That's all. Here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of the body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether bond or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, it is not therefore not of the body. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, it is not therefore not of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, each one of them in the body, even as it pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much rather, those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those parts of the body, which we think to be less honorable, Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Now, isn't this amazing? Here it is. This is the fullness of Christ. This is the vessel through which and in which he is expressing himself. Many different limbs, different functions, different organs, but one head and one life. And one purpose, as it were. One name. This is the church. If anyone says, well, I, I still think you're going too far, let me take you to Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. For even as we have many members in one body and all the members have not the same office, so we who are many are one body in Christ and severally members one of another. 
Now, I wonder whether we begin to get this because only the Lord can show it to us. But once we begin to see it, it revolutionizes our whole concept of what the New Testament calls the church. Not in a single place in the New Testament is a building ever called a church. And never anywhere in the New Testament is an organization of an institution called the church. This term that has come to be used everywhere in Christendom is actually used in the New Testament of an organic, living, breathing, animate union in Christ. Everywhere. Upon this rock, said Jesus, I will build my church, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Once we, as I say, begin to see this, it makes such a a difference. This fullness of Christ is to be expressed, let me put it in another way, through many members of one body. My body is made up of hundreds of different muscles and uh, ligaments and uh, organs and, and functions. and It's amazing, isn't it? Now, this body I have for good or for bad has only one name, Lance Lambert. There is not a, I have a body very much like Stephen Kong, in many ways, I mean in principle we are exactly the same. He looks a little different to me and I look a little different to him, but we have the same kind of body. But although he has same kind of hands as I have and same kind of feet with toenails and everything else, quite the same. I haven't got in my body a single one of his fingers, (laughs) nor a single one of his toes. I have my own fellowship. Here it is. (laughs) You have your own fellowship. This is the fellowship of Lance Lambert. And my little finger can't do anything apart from this body. And whilst it obeys the directions of the head, it lives and functions and fulfills the purpose. It is a living, animate fellowship of many different diverse functions and organs in one life, sharing one name, sharing one head, sharing one life. And this is what the Holy Spirit takes as the supreme illustration of the church. Those who have been called by God out of this world and into His Son, Jesus Christ. The Ecclesia. The called out ones and the called in ones. Called out of the world, called out of the nations, called out of this old creation, called out of the old nature, called out of the old order, and called into Christ. 
called to his eternal glory in Christ. Called to be filled unto all the fullness of God in Christ. Called saints. Saints are not people you see in stained glass windows. God forbid. When I was a boy, before I ever went, I wasn't a Christian. And I had nothing to do with Christian things. I often thank the Lord for that. And the only time I ever went into any of these places, I saw these stained glass windows and saw those weird, deathly pale saints with some kind of saucepan round their head, if you know what I mean. I used to wonder what they were doing sort of like this. And somehow they had this kind of anemic, uh, spineless, uh, uh, ethereal look about them that they're so removed from us. They are sexless, colorless, characterless people, somehow flat on a thing. And these are saints, and so everyone is not really quite sure that we want to be saints. <laughs> is that what we've all got to become? But saints are those who are set apart. They've been called out of this world and out of this world order, saved by the finished work of the Lord Jesus, made alive by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and set apart for the purpose of God. They are saints, sanctified ones, separated ones. This is the church. Head and body is one entity. I have said this to many of you before, but when you consider it, you have never ever seen a living headless body. That is the one thing you have never seen. It is impossible for a body to walk without a head. Now it is true that when you cut a chicken's head off it runs round in a circle for a few minutes until it keels over and dies and I often feel that in church history that once <laughs> Satan has managed to sever the head from the body the denomination runs round in circles for a while until it keels over and finally dies. The point is this, you've never seen a living headless body. Because for a body to function, it must have a head. There's no meaning to a body, a human body, unless it has a head. Now, in exactly the same way, you have never seen a living bodiless head. It is impossible. For a head to be alive if it's severed from the body. So this very use of the term head and body means that the head and the body are together. They are united. They are one organism, one entity. That is the meaning of the illustration that the Holy Spirit uses supremely of the church. The church cannot function apart from the Lord Jesus. 
Sever it from the Lord Jesus and it becomes an institution. It becomes a tradition. It becomes a formalized, crystallized organization. In fact, it can begin to contradict its head. It can contradict his words. It can contradict the truths concerning him. As we are seeing today in what is called in so many places the church. But as far as God is concerned, this church of his cannot function apart from the head. Only when it's joined to the head, in communion with the head, in step with the head, in fellowship with the head, does it fulfill its function. Now I have no idea whether what I'm saying goes over to you with clarity as I pray it will. But once we begin to see this matter, we understand why Ephesians tells us that the church, which is his body, is the fullness of him who fills everything in everyone. There is no meaning, no significance, no fulfillment, no expression, no reaching of the goal if the body is severed from its head. It is only anything while he is in the process of filling everything in every one of the members. Then it is his fullness. It is the vessel of his fullness. Then it becomes the vehicle of his fullness. Then it becomes the instrument, as it were, of his work and of his uh, functioning. Oh, what a, uh, what a marvelous thought this is when you think about it. Head and body together in one entity. First, it, it means it is alive. There's nothing dead about the church of God. When it really is the church of God, its characteristic is life, resurrection, life, and power. It doesn't matter where you put it, it turns the world upside down. You can martyr all its leaders, you can murder its members, and it will just go down into the earth, and then it will come up more abundant, more alive, more powerful than ever before. It is the history of the true church. Look at any single part right through the last 2,000 years and you'll find this is borne out by the evidence of history. The true church you cannot eradicate. Once it's joined to the head, then no matter what the world does to it, in the end, the one characteristic of the church is it is alive. Even in its dying, it bears about the, the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Alive. Oh, would to God... Every fellowship represented here in this place was alive. Alive. 
And I will tell you here and now that if there's any deadness, anything that's boring, anything that's dull, anything that's stale about our fellowships, about our gathering, our assembling of ourselves together, it's because we are not under the direction, the living direction and government of the head. For whenever the body, the members of the body come under the direction of the head, the one characteristic is life. Life. More life. Fullness of life. Resurrection life and power. It doesn't mean you don't have to know what it is to die. The only way you can stay together is by dying. There is a process in the fellowship of the body. By which we have to die and die and die and die again. And as we die and die and die again, so the resurrection life and power of the Lord Jesus is manifested through those poor, insignificant, unworthy members of his body. The characteristic of the church is that it is alive, head and body. Can you imagine? How can we be joined to our head who has ascended to the right hand of God, who has been made king of kings and lord of lords, ruler of the kings of the earth? How can we be joined to him and not be alive? It is impossible. Impossible. Think. He has the keys of death and hell. Death and hell. He has the keys. He is the one who became dead. And behold, he's alive forevermore. How can we be joined to him and not know resurrection life and power? It is impossible. Then we must judge ourselves on this matter. Because this question of the headship of the Lord Jesus is the most vital principle in the whole matter of the church. Compromise it, contradict it, and death, corruption, barrenness, dullness, staleness, and all the rest of it comes in. Allow that living Lincoln union with the head to grow more and more so that we grow up into him who is the head and we find life and life and more life and more life. His matter of the direction of the head is all important. A head and a body. The body doesn't direct the head. The head directs the body. Most of the time we're telling the law what we think he ought to do and how he should do it. Some people's idea of prayer is that. I feel so sorry for the Lord. Some people, they would manipulate the Lord, formulate the Lord, push the Lord into areas where he doesn't want to go, make him say things he's never said, make him do things he doesn't want to do. It's amazing how we treat the Lord. But oh, when God has broken us and humbled us and brought us to the place of weakness and dependence, then the head can direct us. And when the head can direct us, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. The church becomes an army terrible with banners when it is under the direction of the Lord of hosts. 
And I mustn't stop here too long. Head and body is a matter of expression. And the, the Lord Jesus once said, a vehicle for expression, oh, how sad it is that so often we're only expressing ourselves. But he wants to express himself in us and through us. Each one of us with something unique to uh, convey of the Lord Jesus. All different. And yet, one in him. Diversity. Variety. In every single way. And one Lord expressing himself through us all. So great that he needs us all to express himself. And even when he has us all, there's so much more of him to be expressed. And so much more fullness than can ever be contained by any of us. What a mess we've made of this matter of the church. Don't you think so? And I am not talking about denominationalism, just in case anyone thinks, oh, of course we all agree with this, anything is anything against denominationalism. My dear friends, we have made a mess of this matter. Oh, what we've done with this church truth, we've reduced it to patterns and to an order and to something legalistic merely and to a form and I don't know what else. And whilst there is a pattern and whilst there is order and whilst there are forms and there are things that we do such as the Lord's table and baptism many other things there are areas of authority elders, deacons and all these other things all of this is absolutely right. But my dear friends this is in one sense only the surface of the matter, the heart of the church is being joined to the Lord Jesus. That's the heart of the matter. Some areas of Christendom we have reduced the church to an Old Testament setup. It's all to do with vestments and, and days and, and places and uh, uh, it's really Old Testament Christianity. And then in many areas of Christendom, we have what I call a post-Calvary and pre-Pentecost congregation. In other words, we're born of God. We have sound doctrine. We're true believers. And we're absolutely one. At least we put an accent on being one. We can even fast and pray. This is the most perfect idea that some people have of a church. It is a congregation of born-again believers that is one and believes in their risen Lord and has sound doctrine and accepts the authority and infallibility of the Word of God. This is a post-Calvary, pre-Pentecost church. Most of us would be thrilled if everything called a church in the United States and Canada was made up of born-again believers with absolutely sound doctrine, accepting the authority and infallibility of the Bible, all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, and believed in the risen Christ as Lord and Savior, 
Why we would be so thrilled, we would say, look at these people, they're one, they're in unity, they have prayer meetings, they even fast. It's marvelous. And yet the Lord Jesus said, don't whatever you do, go out and start such congregations. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now some people's idea of post-Pentecost churches is that all they do is speak in tongues. Now, I have nothing against tongues. I must tell you that straight away, so I don't want anyone to fall out with me on this matter. I have absolutely no problem with tongues at all. I think it's a marvelous thing to worship the Lord in a tongue that you don't understand. And the more intelligent you are, the more you should do it. <laughs> For it reduces you to your proper size. And makes you realize that there are things you don't understand in the whole dimension of the Spirit. But having said that, to say that all that there is about a post-Pentecost church is that it speaks in tongues is absolute nonsense. It's not even a question of it having gifts. The post-Pentecost church was not a congregation of 120 born-again believers with pure and sound doctrine and a risen Christ in the midst. It was a 120 members of a body joined to its ascended glorified head. And that is all the difference between day and night. To have a congregation you can organize, you can manipulate, you can set up, you can move around. And all of you, you can do it all the time yourselves. There's all the world a difference between that and a body which is directed from heaven by the Spirit of God. That is a living, animate matter of union with God in Christ. Do you understand? When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he broke the sound barrier. And he took the church into another dimension. From organization to organism. Now all of you know that organisms have a lot of organization. But the organization comes out of the life inside the organism. It's not applied from without to within. But it comes from within to without. Do you understand? So when we begin to understand this whole matter, oh, how marvelous it becomes. This holding of the testimony of Jesus. Was, how wonderful it is when we come to the book of Revelation. Now, I mustn't say anything about the book of Revelation, <laughs> although I feel emboldened to do so because Brother Kong spoke about my epistles. <laughs> If we'd been in Britain, I would have reported him to my trade union. <laughs> but you know, when we come to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we find this extraordinary uh, uh, phrase, which is, except for one or two other places in the New Testament, mentioned nowhere else, 
the testimony of Jesus, holding the testimony of Jesus. And we suddenly discover from the beginning to the end, it's something to do with holding the testimony of Jesus. The church holds something. She bears something. She holds a testimony. She's not just that she gives testimony, that she is a witness, but she holds a witness. It is as if she bears them, just like a lampstand has the lamp within it, a light. Do you understand? So we hold Jesus. We express Jesus. We are revealing Jesus. We are manifesting Jesus. It is his salvation that we are expressing and only his salvation. There is no other salvation in the whole wide world. It is his authority and his will that we are expressing on this earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven, so on earth. We hold this testimony that we are in a usurped world but under the direction of the throne of God. And one day this world is coming back to the king. That's our testimony. We're holding the testimony of Jesus. Or I think of, uh, of uh, uh, his life and nature. We ex we're expressing his life and his nature. It's another kind of life we've got inside of us. What is a child of God? A child of God is someone who has received eternal life. They have another kind of life. This life is found nowhere else in the world. You have animal life. You have vegetable life. You have bird life. You have fish life. You have human life. And you have eternal life. And only those born of God have eternal life. And this life is the life of God in Christ. And we are the expression of this life. Now do you begin to understand what a tragedy it is when the church does not express the authority and will of the Lord, but its own authority. And so you have men throwing their weight around and, and the will of men uh, being passed in, I don't know what kind of committee or council or whatever else. What a tragedy it all is. And when death is in the church and deadness and staleness and all the rest of it, where is the testimony of Jesus? Where is the expression of his life and his nature? When the church spends its whole time fighting with one another and squabbling with one another, kicking one another out and just having uh, these terrible gossip sessions and I don't know what else, where is the testimony of Jesus? It's another nature we are to express. It is. We are to express his love and compassion in a world that is basically loveless and in which there is very little compassion. We are to hold the testimony of Jesus, the very love of God personified in him illustrated in him, manifested in him. We are to express that love. We are to express that compassion. How very rarely we do it. We are to express his glory. Glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We are to hold this testimony of Jesus. Oh, my dear friends, 
What a subject this is. I don't know if it's too much for you. Or whether somehow or other as you begin to understand, even if you get only a little glimpse, uh, a spirit of, of, uh, of mourning will come into your heart for the state of the church. What a wonderful little phrase it is that we have in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, which we have read each of these evening sessions that I've been responsible for, verse 19, may be strong to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Did you notice that little phrase, with all the saints? There's no way that you and I can ever plumb the depths or explore the heights or go to the length or to the breadth Without our brothers and sisters, we need all the saints. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, I need you and you need me, if we're going to know it in its fullness. If we are to be filled unto all the fullness of God, then we need all the saints with all the saints. We're back again to this vessel of his fullness. There are many other things one would love to say, but I think we must pass over some of them. I think it's interesting to look at the requirements strengthened with power through his spirit, Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love. There's no way that you and I, with all the saints, can explore the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge and to be filled unto all the fullness of God unless we are strengthened with power through his Spirit. Unless Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith. There's no being carried in some kind of corporate machine. Every one of us has to have an experience of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has to have an experience of Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. Every one of us must be rooted and grounded in love before we can, we can fly into the heights and plumb the depths and go to the length and go to the breadth. We need to be rooted and grounded in love. The church can only be what it is meant to be can only be what God designed it to be, the fullness of Christ, if he is able to fill 
all in all. Now yesterday I gave you a little illustration. I've got another one today. I hear that everybody was talking about beans. <laughs> I understand that the Canadians uh, mean something quite different about beans than you in the United States. <laughs> but I shall lead the Holy Spirit to talk to you about what beans are in each one of you. All I want you to know is this, if you're filled with earth, if you're filled with this world, and filled with worldliness, there's no way you can be filled with Christ. And if you're filled with beans, you can't be really filled with Christ. Now how does he fill everything in every one? First of all, God puts us in him. So this is you. You got saved. God put you in him. I was a good Baptist. <laughs> and this is me. And I got saved. And God put me in him. And this is Ernie. <laughs> no beads. He got saved. God put him in Christ. And this is Dana. All the earth has gone. He got saved. God put him in Christ. Now, what has happened? We are all in him, and he is everything in everyone. All are filled with him. Isn't this wonderful? You see, God put me in Christ, and he put you in Christ, and I don't have my own Christ, and nor do you. There's only one Christ. I'm in Christ, and you're in Christ, and the same Christ is in you, and the same Christ in me. Now we have a oneness. We're like members of a body. Do you begin to understand it? <laughs> but we must finish. I want you to look again at another scripture that we, re we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 4. I want you in that verse 13 to recognize a wonderful little phrase, till we all attain unto a full-grown man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now will you please note very carefully, till we all attain. We cannot reach a full-grown man, spiritual maturity, spiritual fullness, spiritual completeness. We cannot reach or arrive at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ alone. 
It doesn't say till you attain. It says till we all attain. We need each other. We don't do it at the same measure together, but we need each other in all our varying growths and variance, varying uh, uh, standards of spiritual age and experience. We need each other if we're going to arrive at a full-grown man, at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We need our fellow members if we're going to come there. And dear, dear folks, let me tell you something. Not only the great giants that are before us, we need the little ones that are behind us. We not only need the easy ones, we need the difficult ones. Because God uses the difficult, obstreperous members of the body to do a big work in you and me. God's awkward squad. <laughs> They're everywhere in every fellowship. And we are all tempted to kick them out or freeze them out. But you know it is amazing what God can do. He uses those difficult saints to do something in you that couldn't be done in any other way till we all attain unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Please note very carefully, I know some of you must already know it well, here in this chapter 4, in verse 3, give diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit. Verse 13, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith. Did you notice that? Now in Christendom we have inverted the order. We have made the unity of the faith the basis of fellowship and the unity of the Spirit something which is a luxury. The order is the unity of the Spirit you've been born into by the grace of God. You don't have to arrive at it. You don't have to achieve it. You don't have to organize it. You were born into it. Keep it. And the only way you can keep it is by long suffering. That's what it says. It says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another. That's the only way. And in spite of all the lowliness and meekness and long suffering and forbearing of one another, give diligence to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You have to maintain it. You can't maintain a house unless you've got a house. You can't maintain a car unless you've got a car. If you maintain a car, you first have a car. Then you can maintain a car. You can't keep a dog unless you've got a dog. Then when you've got a dog, you can keep the dog. So it is in keeping the unity of the Spirit. It's already yours. You've only got to keep it. You've only got to maintain it. So we maintain this unity of the Spirit. What is the unity of the Spirit? I'm in the same Christ, and the same Christ is in me that you're in and is in you. Do you understand? That's our unity. Oh, I may say, I wish you were my color and not your color. <laughs> I wish that you were like me from my background and not your background. I wish that culturally 
you are my culture and not your culture. No. I maintain the unity of the Spirit because you're in the same Christ I'm in. And the same Christ that's in me is in you. Therefore, we belong to each other. I've got to adjust myself to you. I've got to adjust myself to your background, your culture, your color, whatever else about you. I have got to adjust myself to you. I've got to understand you are uh, a member of the Lord Jesus, just as I am a member of the Lord Jesus, and we need one another. I cannot arrive at the unity of the faith. Won't it be wonderful one day when we do arrive at the unity of the faith? Oh, what differences we have. When will we be raptured? Before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation? Is there a millennium? Is there not a millennium? All oh, the thousand and one questions we have. Is God fulfilling his purpose in Israel or is he not fulfilling his purpose in Israel? All these kind of things and a thousand and one other things. Is there a second experience or is there not a second blessing? Can you speak in tongues or don't you? Shouldn't you speak in tongues? Are there such things as gifts or are there not such things as gifts? We have a thousand and one things that we can all fall out on. Be marvelous one day when we see eye to eye and we'll be able to say to each other, there you are, I told you. No, what a wonderful thing it is when one day we shall all see eye to eye and when the Lord will finally instruct us and we shall see everything. As we grow up into the Lord, there is a sense in which we begin to see the same thing. My dear brothers and sisters, I only hope that this helps you in some understanding because whilst we are growing up, at our various stages of experience and measure, we must maintain the unity of the Spirit whilst we are arriving at the unity of the faith to a full-grown man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't it a wonderful thing when it says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, again, still within these letters, um, it says, and you have put on the new man that is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there cannot be Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bondman, freeman, but Christ is all in all. In the Lord Jesus, we are one new man. I am not a Jew. You're not a Gentile. We're one new man in Christ. We're not bond or free. We're not barbarian, Scythian. One new man. And yet we must be careful. In Galatians it says you are neither male nor female in Christ. As well as all these other things. And here in this same letter, Colossians, the apostle goes on to say, Wives, be subject to your husbands. So there is a difference. And husbands, love your wives. And then he goes on to talk about slaves, bond slaves, how they should serve their masters in the flesh as if they were serving Christ. So these distinctions remain. 
So what does it mean when it says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile? There is neither barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, neither male nor female. It means that the irritant, the middle wall of partition, the division has gone. We may be different colors, we may be different races, we may be different uh, backgrounds, we may be different classes, we may have different temperaments, but thank God, Christ is our unity. There is no middle wall of petition. We are one because we are in him and he is in us. Well now my dear friends I think it's time to close but when I look at that wonderful 1 Corinthians 15 I get so excited. It speaks of each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then they which are his at his coming. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And then it says, and he shall reign till all his enemies are put under his feet. And then he will abolish all rule and authority and power. And the last enemy that shall be abolished is death. And then when he's done all this, he will subject himself to the Father, that God may be all in all. That's why this whole matter of fullness is so important. And that is why the matter of the church is so important. They which are his at his coming, Christ the first fruits. They which are his at his coming. Oh, how important this matter is that you and I should understand we have only one small span of time, one single life. And in this short span of time, however long God gives us to live here on this earth, in this one small life, the whole work of God is compressed. If you and I are going to be filled unto all the fullness of God, if you and I are going to become part of the bride of Christ, if you and I are going to become part of the overcomers by the grace of God alone, we have one small span of time and one single life. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Are you always putting off to tomorrow? Tomorrow, manana, tomorrow, 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 when things are a little easier, when I'm not so busy, when the children are quietened down, when my home's in order, when my business is in order. Tomorrow, 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 always tomorrow. Tomorrow you're going to get sorted out. Tomorrow you're going to be devoted. Tomorrow you're going to put first things first. Tomorrow you're going to serve the Lord with all your heart. Tomorrow you're going to give yourself to fellowship. Tomorrow you're going to build up your brothers and sisters. Always tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And each tomorrow becomes today. And your life slips away through your fingers. But 
For you know where you are, you who are young are middle-aged. And before you know where you are, you who are middle-aged are pensioners. Your life has gone, and all the opportunities and potentialities in that one span of time and in your one life have been thrown away for a mess of pottage. Always inverting God's order and putting last things first and making secondary things primary. My dear children of God, can you imagine what our little assemblies and fellowships would be like if every one of us were in him made full? No dead areas, no heavy weights, no oppressive silences, but each one functioning so that the body in the due measure of each part is building itself up in love. Can you imagine what would happen if as a result of this conference every one of us went out with a new understanding of what it is in Christ to be made full? A new desire that the Holy Spirit should have his sovereign free way in our lives, a new determination that by the Holy Spirit we would lay down our lives for his sake and for the gospel. Even on the most minimal level, being, being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we begin to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our heart to the Lord. It means being filled with the Holy Spirit that we begin to give thanks always to God for all things. It means that we, being filled with the Holy Spirit, can subject ourselves one to another. It means that wives can get straight in their relationship to their husbands, and husbands can start to love their wives. And parents won't become stumbling blocks to their children. And children will be able to honor and obey their parents in the Lord. That employers take care for their employees as if they were relatives. And employees begin to serve their employers as if they were the Lord. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. This vessel of fullness that is the church 
much, oh, how far we are from it. And how much in these last days when we begin to see the darkness creeping over all things, and I have no doubt over the North American continent in the years that immediately lie ahead. What a need there is for the Lord to be able to express himself through his members in every place where we live. May the Lord do it for us all. Shall we pray? Lord, we really need you. Forgive us, Lord, that many of us, we have unforgiving spirit or bitterness, perhaps one toward another. We're in division or in faction. Oh, God, forgive us these things and cleanse us from it all. But, Lord, we pray that you will touch the eyes of our hearts tonight to see something more of what the church is so that, Lord, we no longer play at churches, but we become those who together are holding the testimony of Jesus, through whom he can express something of his salvation and something of his life and something of his authority and power, something of his love something of his glory. Lord, we know we cannot really be filled unto all that fullness of God without all the saints. Help us, Lord. Help us not just to think of saints the other ends of the earth, but the saints we're worshipping with, we're fellowshipping with, the ones we have the difficulties with. Oh, Lord. Help us. By your Spirit, Lord, touch every one of us. And may from this night there be a new attitude and a new understanding of what it is to be the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in everyone. We ask it in his name. Amen. <clears throat>